Now being mindful of the purity of my body, speech and consciousness, I commit myself to observing this day of reflection with the following practices. I take refuge in unity, the awakened nature of all beings, in diversity, the interdependence of all creations, and in harmony, the active balance of unity and diversity. So the reason I've given you these, one is, as I said, so you can see what the precepts are if we talk about them. But secondly, um, that paragraph, I take refuge in unity, the awakened nature of all beings, in diversity, the interdependence of all creations, and in harmony, the active balance of unity and diversity, is essentially what the precepts are hoping to lead us toward or, 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 or support us in those three intentions. Um, so the reason I'm looking at the 10 great precepts is because the five people are doing Jukai on Thursday. I thought it would be a good time to look at them, yeah? Um, but before we start, and I want you to join in, there's no... Um, there's no one way of looking at these things. But I want to read you two things that kind of summarize the context in which I understand that we practice the precepts. And so I've just I've written, I've written it down here. So I don't know which way order to put this in. Let, let, I'm going to read these two things, but then say when we look at the precepts, we're going to look at them from two different angles. So we're going to look at them from the uh, relative, which is the Hinayana perspective, in which the precept is a rule to follow. Uh, the second is the Mahayana, or um, a balance between the relative and absolute, in which the precepts are taken and we act on them in accordance with the situation. So they're not, they're not um, commandments. Uh, and there are occasions when you may break the precepts. And then the third, the third perception, the third take on them, is to look at them from the perspective of the absolute or the non-dual, in which there is, uh, I take refuge in unity, the awakened nature of all beings. So there are three ways of looking at them. It probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you at the moment, does it? <laughs> we only look at them, maybe it will. Okay. So the backdrop to this and in the context in which I wish to talk about them is um, this is inspired by a book I'm reading. By, uh, it's called All the Things I Don't Know About Death. And written, it, was started, it was written by somebody who started to write it and then two weeks in discovered he had uh, really bad cancer. So this is this comes from the heart, obviously. Yeah. Um, there is nothing whatsoever to strive for, since underneath or behind all our striving, we are already, just as we are, fully awakened Buddhas. One way of interpreting this might be to suggest that our awakened nature is implicitly present in our very striving. And that's really important. 
say that again. One way of interpreting this might be to suggest that our awakened nature is implicitly present in our very striving. It is present in the restless dissatisfaction that judges and rejects as unsuitable the fleeting things of the world. So I think we're, are we all guilty of that. It's his presence in the restless dissatisfaction that judges and rejects as unsuitable the fleeting things of the world. Okay. In this sense, then, our lack of ease or dis-ease may be said to line the gap between who I mistakenly think I am and who I am in the depth of my being. E.g., the person that I am beyond the person that I seem to be or think I am. Can you read that again? I am, in the depth of my being, the person that... Sorry, I'll tell us the whole thing again. In this sense, our dis-ease may be said to lie in the gap between who I mistakenly think I am and who I am in the depth of my being. E.g., the person that I am beyond the person <coughs> I seem to be or think myself to be. This gap, in fact, exists only in our imagination and conceptual thoughts. There is, in fact, no gap between what we imagine this. Yeah? I am constantly struggling to find what is already present to experience what is, in essence, altogether beyond experience, or one might say, what is implicit, implicit in every experience, even the most ordinary and mundane. I am constantly struggling to find what is already present, to experience what is, in essence, altogether beyond experience, or one might say, what is implicit in every experience, even the most ordinary and mundane. Why is it beyond our experience? Why is this experience of it, if you like, or whatever, or the mundane, why is it beyond our experience? Why can't we experience it? Well, let me then make it... What does experience require? If you experience something, what does it require? Pardon? To be alive. To be alive, stop. That's definitely crucial. Yeah. <laughs> to be alive, yeah. To be outside, to be separate. To be, exactly. To experience something you need, obviously, to have the experiencer and the experience. What about if there's no separation? Who's doing the experience then? Some unknown, well, something is, is experiencing, but we can't say what the hell it is. This is the path of not knowing. What is this? And that's the question. What is it? What is this thing? So conditioned by grammar, subject, 
object, uh, uh, language, yeah, language. Language is, uh, yeah, I've just thought that language is probably the apple that was eaten by Eve. <laughs> it led to all our fall down. <laughs> and then finally, before we look at the, the precepts, and this may not seem to be to do with the precepts, but it is absolutely and intimately to do with the precepts for me. This is a quote. The old masters placed the size of ethics of ethics which you know is what the precepts are about the old masters play, placed the size of ethics within the inward instantaneous and entire grasping of circumstances a living dharma not divisible into categories of right and wrong we can't know things most directly when we lay no claim so I'm, I'm reading it I'm not a great reader I really do the old masters placed the site of ethics within the inward, instantaneous and entire grasping of circumstances. A living dharma, not divisible into categories of right and wrong. We can know things most directly when we lay no claim to knowing anything at all. The Zen Buddhist does not ask what's right and wrong. But rather, and this is really important, what am I to do at this moment? She or he has no opinion to put forth. She or he has learned not to acquire answers and so holds their question open wherever they go. So the precepts are not to be seen from the perspective of right or wrong not to be seen from the perspective of you know or don't know, but what's appropriate? What do you feel at that time is the way to act? Which places a great deal of responsibility on you. Um, and, but I would ask, it is a big responsibility. How do we act in each moment? But if each of you, I asked each of you, who would you rather be in charge of the responsibility of how you act? Would you choose yourself or someone else? Would you be first somebody outside saying, do this, do that, do that, do that, do that. It'd be easy, wouldn't it? That's kind of what the Western world has done for the past few thousand. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So this is pretty radical, this, because it's giving you full responsibility with no external judge or decider on what is ethically right or ethically wrong. Um, I was just thinking in the wrong hands, it could, could may not work, but I'm assuming that the wrong hands wouldn't probably come to a retreat in Fell End in the Lake District. So It reminds me of the suggestion that people have sometimes that a wild animal can choose what it wants to eat or selectively go around the field and
Pretty, but it's, that's rest, yeah. Given what I've just read and said and thoughts I've had, before we continue, does anybody want to comment? Has anything come up for anyone? It seems that it um, really places a lot of importance then on intention. On attention? Intention. Intention, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like what you intend by your actions rather yeah. than what results from them. Yeah. Well, that's important as well. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you felt your intentions were right, but you fucked up, what would you think? It's easy to get attached to the consequences, isn't it? But you can try and remind yourself that you try to act in, as you just said, you know, yeah. the best way that you know. Then make, makes it easier maybe to. Yeah, yeah. I'm being devil's advocate. Mm. What about the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intention? <laughs> what do you think? It's true, isn't it? True as well, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. So, I misheard you and you said, I thought you said the word, or you said attention. But I think it was a good miss here because we, we need both, I guess, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like um, my Zumi Roshi's take on the precepts where he sort of counsels that uh, the minute that you start taking them to be um, categorical and something to be achieved with them, you're breaking the precepts. <laughs> yeah. Which one would you break? Which one would I break? No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get too personal, is <laughs> No. <laughs> he said, the minute you take them seriously, what was the word? What did he say? The minute you take them. As soon as you start to take them seriously and be, be sort of right and wrong, right and wrong, yeah. Attain something yeah. through them. Yeah. Like, uh, breaking, you're actually breaking which, the precept. Which precept in that context would you break down? So I'm curious about all of them? All, all of, them. of them? Any of them. Any of them? Yeah. Okay. okay. Pretty radical, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so let's think, let's look at the first one. Do not kill. First of the ten great precepts, do not kill. What do you think? What does that mean, do not kill? What, what does it mean? Do not kill your past. Pardon? Your way. Uh, well, um, in the past, I thought is a very, very uh, contained a lot, including time, which we kill, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's also do not kill um, your past. Your past. Opportunities, yeah. Yeah, opportunities, and yeah. Your life. Yeah, and your life. Do not yeah. kill your life. Mm. But it's very, very, um, I would think it's very, very important and very difficult <laughs> not to kill the life. Sure. Simple things yeah. like this just stuff. Okay, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? On? I think not to kill now. Because to be aware of now, yeah. I need to be innocent. Okay. And if I'm deceiving myself, then there's no me, and I'm not in the now. Okay. I'm killing the now. Okay. 
Okay, good. Do not kill it. Do not kill it now. Do not kill the past. Do not kill opportunities. Do not kill your life. Any, 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 any other takes on do not kill? What does it mean for you personally when you first say do not kill? What pops up? Another person. Yeah. Another person, yeah. Mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this, I mean, this is sort of a joke, but this isn't giving us any guidance at all about what we do about mosquitoes. <laughs> I mean, mosquito-wise, it's not useful. Well, it it is useful in a sense, isn't it? Because it brings up the question of a naughty question that each of us in this case would have to face. Do we want to kill all mosquitoes in order for children not to get malaria? Yeah, sure. Well, I, you know, it's a, it's a big question, I know, but they're the sort of questions that the precepts bring up and that we each have to make a personal decision about on a daily basis almost. Mm -hmm. you know, what would be, Stephen, what would be your... How would you respond to that? Um, if there's a mosquito in the room, I probably try not to kill it. Try not to. I have a, a friend who is engineering responses to mosquito-borne diseases by various various things, some of which probably familiar to you, kind of breeding out mosquitoes mm -hmm. by mixing up their <clears throat> and that sort of thing. That is perfectly So you wouldn't kill them? I don't want I want to. <laughs> Uh, I might kill them. <laughs> I want. I, I. I. want to make sure that I wasn't just acting um, carelessly. Yeah. Thoughtlessly, or, or just having some unjustifiable desire to avoid this discomfort. Mm. Is mm. discomfort? the desire to avoid discomfort unjustifiable i don't know okay you well, have to wait till the mosquito comes okay and then you'll decide yeah <laughs> i mean it just get complicated i mean i don't know if anybody else has, has either now or in the past had a partner who doesn't like insects and they've been camping <laughs> and this poor thing comes in the tent and they're saying kill it kill it i can't go to sleep and, oh, no, I don't want to. And then there's a whole rocking going on, and nobody can get to sleep. And finally, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a difficult business, you know. It really is to yeah. be making decisions on these things. You made the choice to go camping in the first place. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from my experience, Making choices and taking responsibility for them aren't necessarily the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. But also that yeah. brings up a bigger question, doesn't it? You, in our lifetime, you can characterize the way in which the road of good intentions has led to human destruction of life on earth, at least our life on earth, not all life, insects and mine. But mosquitoes will survive, question is what do you so that all those things we did and thought were good and DDT and so on and so forth were good. Now we realize oh wait a minute, that was a mistake. Yeah. Even plowing, now we realize probably that's a mistake too. Yeah. What's so like there's a card in the kitchen where all the plants are complaining about <laughs> being eaten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Sensei, are you gonna say something? Yeah, it was really along the lines of um Taking all those examples, uh, the, you know, the mosquito, first time around, should I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, Or the, the camping analogy, you know, the first time you're up in the middle of the night, yes, I'll, I'll take care of the mosquito. The second night, no. Okay. I'm going to have to get the spray out or something. Yeah, yeah. So, so it changes. Yeah, because that. The following day, you're suffering from bites. And, yeah, yeah, it's a different yeah. circumstance. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, well, from the three perspectives of the Hinayana, the relative, the Mahayana, which is embracing the relative and the absolute, and the absolute, what would those three perspectives be about killing, do you think? Let's take the example of the mosquito. Thank you, Stephen. What would be the three perspectives? I'm saying the Hinayana does not kill it. No killing. No killing. Full stop. Yeah. No killing. Yeah. What about the Mahayana perspective? I'm saying it depends. Pardon? Depends on the situation. It depends on the situation. Depends what night it is in the camp. Pardon? <laughs> depends what night it is in the camp. <laughs> in the camp, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what about the absolute perspective? Absolutely. Killer. Kill it. Yes, there is no killer. Mm. 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 <laughs> you were very sure there, <laughs> very sure of that one. <laughs> well, yeah. In fact, from the absolute perspective, there's nothing to kill because it's unborn and undying anyway. It wasn't born and it won't die. I know what's going on in your head. You think of physically of a mosquito that's got squashed and this born. But from a non-dual perspective, it's just the one body that is unborn and undying. That is the, that, that's the hardest areas to talk about and to understand for our rational, dualistic way of seeing things. It's hard, isn't it, particularly because it implies that it doesn't matter. Mm. It sort of implies at one level yeah. it doesn't matter. Everything is as it is. Yeah. But as at the very beginning, um, this idea of a separation between an absolute reality and a relative reality 
is something that we've created because we can't we can't encompass or we can't rationally hold those two things together mm. but they're not separate and so whichever angle yeah what did you just say sorry John uh, sensei um that it implies at one level yeah impl- it, impl- it does it doesn't imply it yeah exactly yeah yeah because there's one body and we want to care for it yeah yeah We also, do we not, have this inbuilt hierarchy, the greater the consciousness or potential for consciousness, the greater the potential for gains killing. Or you could say, well, rocks are as consciousness is deeply asleep, and animals are sort of consciousnesses that are not quite mm-hmm. 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 not very awake, but yeah. the potential is there. Um, well, that all collapses at the ultimate level, but mm. there is, for me, some sort of hierarchy. You know, yeah, but yeah. Not an and that brings us back into the realm of appropriateness and skillful yeah. means and, and yeah. whatever the situation is. Yeah. But, I mean, what from this conversation, what I'm hearing, the big question that suddenly pops up is, what do you think about euthanasia? <laughs> depends. <laughs> depends. Yeah. So what would it what would it depend on? Quality of life. Pardon? Quality of life. Quality of life, yeah. Yeah. Person's yeah. um wishes and intentions it's just difficult, yeah. And, 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 and whilst you work in yeah. Yeah. at the cold face of this stuff, yeah. I think, absolutely, it is about quality of life, and I cannot judge someone's impressive quality of life. Mm. Um, so I suppose it comes back to that skillful means and when, when you when you take something like that and hand it over. Legislated, mm. then what happens with them? Mm. You, you sort of said, This is my responsibility, my decision, but I'm now going to hand it over to you so that you can say, well, I can do it, and so can anyone else. Mm. And I think that for me is where ends up an uneasy dance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Play those all the time, isn't it, between the two sides? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so this is the if you were uh, following a day of reflection if you have a look if this was the if, if this was the precept that you were deciding to focus on your day of reflection it says in the midst of awakening Embodying the precept of non-killing, not leading a harmful life, nor encouraging others to do so, I, with gratitude for the duration of one day, will recognize that I am not separate from all that is. I will live in harmony with all life and the environment which sustains it. So if you, if you were 
doing this as a practice, as a workshop or whatever, your decision today, how would you manifest, you would manifest this statement in the midst of awakening, embodying the precept of non-killing, not leading a harmful life, nor encouraging others to do so, I, with gratitude for the duration of one day, will recognize that I am not separate from all that is. I will live in harmony with all life and the environment which sustains it. So, what would you do today after this? Mm-hmm. What, what are you going to do this afternoon to to um, to, to to embody the precept of non-killing? Is there anything you can think that you would would or wouldn't do that you'd normally do? These are all incredibly complex answers. Aren't they? The further you get into it, so because the first thing that comes to mind is maybe I'll have to fast, you know, so I don't. Okay. Even eating veggies, you don't kill an insect to get them. Yeah. Then that would probably lead to something else. You know? Okay. Killing yourself, ultimately. Then you kill something. Yeah. Have you fast? Yeah, killing himself. Yeah, yeah. just for the day. I think just for the right. day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're just killing those fat molecules. Those fat molecules. Yeah. <laughs> oh look, you, you eat it. You're eating them, aren't you? You're actually consuming. Yeah. 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 Metta, metta practice. You would, you could meditate on, you know, love and kindness towards yeah. people you might have. Yeah. Yeah. Disagreements with. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, an overall appreciate the day, appreciate your life, or really be grateful for you can breathe, yeah. walk around. You don't have to make them decisions. Yeah, you don't have to make those decisions, yeah. It yeah. can be counterproductive, doesn't it? You know, the polarity of reality, it can sort of turn out opposite to what you intended, you know? That's exactly right, yeah, you're dead, you're dead right, Paul. The law of unintended consequences, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. so we have to be careful, for sure. Because like when I do meta, it, I'm sort of challenging reality, and more and more unpleasant things start happening to me. Mm. Eventually, it has the opposite effects on me, that I certainly have to be harmless, but I end up, like, you know, very angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think the, for me that comes out of all this is it, it's not easy being alive. <laughs> it's not easy being a human being. Yeah, and you know, we need to give each other a break and help other people as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we've only done one. Tomorrow we're going to do, and you may think of, and not tomorrow because Sensei's giving a talk, but on Wednesday I'll come back to these and uh, do not steal is, is this great precept number two. So. I know you won't give it much thought, but you know, do not steal, yeah, whatever that means, whatever that means, we'll do service, yeah.